Tom. Oh. Is there anybody there right now? You mean like existentially or like... In your house? No, just my dog. My dog and I. But besides your dog, like, you sure nobody's <laughs> nobody's there? Yeah, I mean... Wa- no. Watching? I mean, look around right now. Just look around. <laughs> I'm literally Nobody... looking around. <laughs> I know you are. I knew that you would do that. And if you were... If you... Just be real quiet for a second. Do you hear... Quacking? Quacking? No. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> I I have a phobia to talk to oh, you about. Oh, involving yeah. quacking? Yeah, I do. Okay, so you might, if you have this phobia, you might have a pervasive, debilitating, irrational fear that you are being watched by a duck. <laughs> so this is our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the phobia is called anatidophobia, and I'm oh, it's a real thing. Well, let's talk about that. It, it it if you have this phobia, you believe that you are being watched by a duck. That a duck is watching your every move. It can become this disabling, uh, debilitating uh, phobia, just like the other phobias we talk about on this show. Uh, Anatide uh, means duck from the Greek, and of course, phobias phobia uh, phobos means uh, yikes. Yep, and the the uh, underlying cause uh, experts believe may result from, as you can predict, childhood trauma, perhaps once being attacked by a dog. Oh, that seems so specific. Have you heard of this I one? have not. And I'm still wondering what the real worry is. I mean, ducks don't no. have like guns, do they? Well, uh, I'll tell you, some ducks may be because this is America. Uh, but <laughs> In in this case, uh, I'm actually a little bit surprised that you haven't heard of this particular phobia. It has been written widely about by our very own Gary Larson of the Far Side. Oh, that's right. He made it up. Oh, he did. Anatidophobia, <laughs> the fear that somewhere, somehow, a duck is watching you. If you search for the original cartoon, it's a guy in an office, and he's facing away from there's a giant window to his back, and across the skyline, you can see in one of the shadowed windows of a building across the way, there is, in fact, a duck watching him, and he has very wide eyes, and it's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> he did this back in uh, some time ago. I think the, the credit was 1986, the original uh, a piece, but then uh, Tammy Duffy in 2008 wrote uh, a, a, a tongue-in-cheek piece that uh, you know associated anatidophobia with the Aflac insurance duck, <laughs> and it sort of took off. And I bring this up not you know obviously uh, it's not a legit thing, it's not a real thing, but there okay. are a lot of people who believe that it is. And if you search for anatidophobia on YouTube in particular, you'll have a lot of people talking about it and making uh, uh, jokes about how ridiculous it is and how stupid you must be if you have this. We all know that that's you, you may suffer from a duck phobia and we all know it's okay to laugh at yourself and for you to feel anxiety about it but this is not one of those that is particularly uh, diagnosed okay i did find however the most brilliant thing ever and as a video gamer i think you might appreciate this there is a game the anatidophobia horror game and now note this is not a, a phobia that a made up phobia that it, it results in you being attacked and mutilated by a duck it's only being watched by a duck so imagine <laughs> yourself 
<laughs> in this environment, all you have is a flashlight and you're in a dark house and your objective is to collect rubber duckies from around the house. But okay. you can only see what is illuminated by your flashlight. So it's a it's a legit horror scape, right? You're you're in this house, you're alone, yeah. and the soundscape is great. And you walk around and suddenly out of nowhere, you'll see two red eyes watching you from like a corner <laughs> or standing on a bed just and out of the flashlight. And true. And you freak out and run. And that's the entire objective. If you see a duck watching you, run and then collect the ducks. That's how you win. And it is a brilliant, brilliant thing. This is not something I stumbled on by myself. This is courtesy of listener Phil Coster. Phil, thank you for writing in. I think Tommy and I are better people knowing what anatidophobia is, what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And now all of you who have a fear of ducks, you know that uh, you're Gary Larson's fault. What's That Smell? A sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every week we drag out one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us. Send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at what's that smell.net. Again, something stinky at what's that smell.net. And with that, Pete, with your permission and the duck's permission, I will go first. <laughs> Peter, on this podcast, I have talked about my difficulties with travel and travel logistics in the past, if you remember. Yeah, no, no, but yeah. Okay. I love traveling, but I never know what to pack. And I'm always there was leaving that things time behind. You were in Venice and you got lost and chased by a clown. Am I remembering that right? <laughs> That's pretty much right. And I'm constantly getting lost. And I'm learning to embrace those parts of myself and just make them a part of sort of the daily ludicrous adventure of being me <laughs> and traveling. <laughs> but there is one thing that I still get nervous about. Uh, luckily, it only happens in certain occasions, but I wanted to sort of check in with you and see if you and our listeners have any connection to this. I have anxiety over hotel rooms. Now, hmm. before I dive in, I have two disclaimers. Number one, I only have hotel room anxiety if I'm traveling completely alone. If I know I'm waking up the next morning to meet with friends or family, I'm usually in pretty good shape. But when I'm traveling alone, that's not the case. And this is the second one is the big one. I'm very different than you, Pete, in that I don't suffer from misophobia. What are we going to do this week? This is your I feel like you're setting me up now. Nope, it's OK. I just got the cold shivers up my back. <laughs> well, see, this is the thing is we're not going to talk about fear of germs that much, because I think that's a fear of germs is what most people fear in Hotel rooms. Well, I was just wondering if I needed to get out my travel black light. <laughs> no, obviously a fear of germs and general uncleanliness is a big part of hotel anxiety, but I don't want to spend very much time on that because it's gross and there's not a ton you can do about it. So let's just go through the germ part really quick together. Ready? Hand oh, in hand, oh, Pete. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Okay. So don't worry. Scientific Americans studied a large sample of hotel rooms across the United States earlier this decade. Here, I'll make it a quiz. And they came up with a few facts. Pete, what's the most bacterially contaminated thing in every hotel room? Uh, well, the bed, I think. Not anymore. A lot of major uh, chains have started using uh, comforters and things that are much, much easier for them to clean. Other ones use duvet covers. 
that they're okay. able to clean each Good. time. So it's not that anymore. Okay. Do you so have another guess? Or the bedding. Um, it, it, you know, I know that what what I feel like you're trying to entrap me to say is the toilet, but I know that the toilet is generally, uh, there is going to be something that is more uh, horrific than the toilet. Correct. And you're trying to trap me into saying it. <laughs> really? Is it the re- wait, wait, wait? No, is well, it the remote on the TV? It is absolutely the remote control on the TV. Yes. <gasps> okay. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you how smart I am because I went to oh. a hotel and uh, and this is the first time I had ever seen this. I went into the hotel. Uh, this was just last weekend. I was in Bend, Oregon, at a Best Western Peppermint Pepper Tree as a pepper thing. Yeah. And the remotes are in. Sacks, hygienic sacks, and it says on there, "This remote has been freshly sanitized." So they know. This is they, the first they read time the I, had, yeah. yes, I had never heard about this before. That's yeah. amazing. Well done. I'm very proud of you. Yeah, remotes are a disaster. Uh, so wait, but oh wait, let's turn it up to be happy. What's the cleanest part? The toilet, definitely the toilet. <laughs> no, it's not the toilet. Look, the answer will never be the toilet. Uh, no, it's the it's the headboard. <laughs> the headboard of the bed. Gonna, my next answer was the ceiling. Right. So I feel like I'm moving in the right direction. Well, the headboard is the ceiling of the bed. Everyone knows that. So uh, to clean out, to clean out, to finish up this germ part, bring bacteria sanitizing wipes if you don't have weird hygienic remote sacks, and give the remote a once over and eat your dinner off your headboard okay so can we be done with germs and go into a deeper part of hotel room anxiety pete i think it's safe to say for now okay deal (laughs) i have a weird anxiety that has nothing to do with cleanliness actually for me it's a mix of anxiety and some type of existential dread Okay. And it's even different from ho- obvious hotel anxiety, which include, like, um, let's see, off the top of my head, uh, I won't be able to get to sleep. Something will be broken, like the AC, and I'll be super uncomfortable, and they won't be able to fix it. Um, I won't have everything I need. I won't be able to find something that I need in an unknown environment. It's bigger than all of that stuff. Now, before I get into it, Pete, do you have, you talked about this great uh, fictional pepper hotel um (laughs) do you have a particular bad hotel room experience that you'd like to share or should we just keep going well mine is uh not mine it is in fact uh the experience of one i believe john hughes Mm. uh in the movie planes trains and automobiles which is when our protagonist uh, somebody sneaks into their hotel room and steals all their their money while they're sleeping and that has caused me yeah, I mean, th- what is it, 30 years of hotel anxiety? And so I'm always the guy to barricade the door. Like, I use every lock. I put the <laughs> do not disturb sign on the door on the front because that is uh, just another deterrent, sure. I think, um, that that I feel like any criminal would see that and <laughs> be like, well, I wouldn't want to make a mess. <laughs> um <laughs> and, and so everything that I do to to, to barricade the door, yes. So I mean, just I'm sort the guy. Of across, who, I'm yeah. the most. I was voted most likely to put a chair under the doorknob in a hotel room in my high school yearbook. So <laughs> what a weird superlative! Yeah, it's so weird. <laughs> anyway, um, I um, mine was actually in uh, Watsonville, California. My good friend and friend of the show, Nicole Reynolds, uh, sorry, Nicole Small now, we're driving up 
uh, to move her from California to uh, Washington State. And we stopped in Watsonville, California. It was the last room they had available. It was for a delightful $80 a night. That's good, right? No. We got in. There were talon claw marks what looked like in the wallpaper like someone had shredded it the door the front door was pounded in there were all of these uh dents in it but leading out meaning at some point someone was desperately trying to get out of the hotel room not in and that makes it so much worse well it sounds like somebody was traveling with a a, a companion a that might have been a, a bird of prey right. and they needed to get out and the last uh, charming feature was when you open the door it would open a little bit and then it would immediately hit your favorite the toilet so you'd have oh, to squeeze in like there wasn't even enough room for the door to open. So that was my worst. But because I was traveling with a friend, I was OK. So, again, I just I'm bringing up all this stuff to really try to narrow down what I'm afraid of, because I think it's a little weird. Shout out to Watsonville, California. Oh, my gosh. Mm, Don't the go there. Of Santa Cruz County. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you, you know it. You love it. Oh, so well. <laughs> this could be weird. I'm interested to see if you have any connection to this. I think my hotel room anxiety has to do with my mortality and my sense of self. <laughs> oh when I God. stay alone in a hotel room, I'm an alien in a new world. No one knows me and no one is caring for me personally. And there's no connection between who I am and this place. When I leave, it will be like I was never there at all. I've had no impact, no change, no personality left behind. Something about that is very impermanent. Something about that is very ephemeral and a little scary. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, I love you. <laughs> and no, because yep. I think it's safe to say once I barricade the door, I sleep like the sleep of the gods like yeah. i i am i sleep better because you know my house is you know well first of all let me just say this for the record mm. you're staying at the wrong hotels right there are hotels where people do take care of you and they're fantastic correct I would i'm say, more talking about like the 200 dollar <laughs> and below the, you right. need to hit up the pepper shaker sure. in the best western <laughs> It's yeah. fantastic. They take good care of you and they wash your remotes. Right. <laughs> well, okay. Yes, I definitely am talking about a certain class of hotel. Uh, we can't all afford pepper shaker like you, <laughs> money bags. Um, but either way, I know that you are not connecting with it. And that's fine because I found people who do. Oh, and good. it is including the entire hospitality industry. What? There's a term. It's called what? hotel gloom. <gasps> Hotel gloom. Hotel gloom. And it's exactly this feeling, this impersonality, this feeling of not really ever being able to feel comfortable there, getting very depressed, very anxious, and feeling just sort of awash and adrift. Awash and adrift. Look at me with words. Wow. Sarah Wilson, author of the New York Times bestseller, First We Make the Beast Beautiful, A New Journey Through Anxiety, has some thoughts on this. Uh, she thinks it's because, quote, most of us do not have opportunities to, quote, sit with ourselves very often. In a hotel, we find ourselves with spare space and time to do this. This can be confronting, particularly for A-type business people or ambitious travelers for whom running from oneself and grasping outwards to fixes and activity is a coping mechanism. 
Wow. The stillness of a hotel room between meetings or with only the company of your room service tray forces us to confront ourselves. And I think maybe that's sort of what's going on. I spend my life in a river of podcasts. And as you have heard me do, unfortunately, when I've left the audio recording, uh, keep going, uh, <laughs> talking to my dog who doesn't talk back <laughs> incessantly. I'm constantly moving and doing things. And sometimes if I'm traveling alone and you're just in your hotel room, there's just not enough going on. Wow. And I think maybe I get a little... I don't I don't really suffer from loneliness but maybe it's because I don't know what it feels like and maybe that's just loneliness. Do you worry at any point that you might fall in some sort of romantic relationship with Siri cuz you're sounding <laughs> a lot like Joaquin Phoenix right now. The, well, we're starting it slow. If it weren't for your dog, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right because Right now, all I do with Siri is ask her to like set a countdown, uh, and then she does it, and I thank her, and then and then I thank her again, and then I use the word please as we talked about in an earlier episode. Yeah, <laughs> I found one other thing in the Daily Beast. Uh, Aaron Vandermeer wrote. Quote, as a hotel guest, the things we often use to define ourselves, the country, state, city, town we live in, our home, our family, our friends, our pets, our jobs, our things are no longer immediate. And when these things are sucked away, we're left exposed, uncomfortable, and vulnerable. I talked earlier about the hospitality business uh, knowing about this, giving it the title Hotel Gloom. And much like you said, staying in the right hotels, hotel chains are trying to alleviate the problem. All of the chains that are upgrading their designs, playing that sort of slow jazz in the uh, lobby, all the earth tones, adding things like spas, fitness centers, and especially making an effort to create a consistent experience across all their properties. These are mm -hmm. all things they're trying to do to alleviate this feeling that I have. Um, sometimes Does it work? It can. Uh, my family and I, when we travel, we stay a lot in uh, Hampton. It, well, see, again, I, I don't. I'm traveling with someone, so it doesn't matter. But I do like that. If for uh, in particular, Hampton Inns, every Hampton Inn is very much the same. It's very pleasant. There's always little pictures of like old towny little things, like a soda shop, and it's almost <laughs> like coming home because it's so consistent. Instead of staying in this very anonymous, brand new, I have no idea, and why is the ice machine in my tub kind of situation. Mm -hmm. So now that I've said all that, does that make any more sense? Can you connect to that? Or are you still just, once you nail all those four by fours across the door, you're fine? Yeah, no, I'm definitely, my comfort is linked directly to security at the yeah. door. Uh, and that's why, you know, I'm always on second floor or above and I, yep. I do the things, you know, it's situational awareness, learned it from a YouTube video by a CIA operative. Anyway, <laughs> I think that uh, I, I do connect with this, uh, you know, in, in in the spirit of that sort of feeling of existential mm -hmm. uh, aloneness yep. that you're describing. And, and, you know, we talked about loneliness and, and what that, you know, how that can manifest. And, and this, to me, what you're describing would be an instant trigger for that. Like, nobody knows I'm here. Right. If I were gone, uh, I would not be missed. I am not worthy mm. of love. Like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of attention. Right. right. And and that's why I'm here. I'm I'm an outcast. 
Right. Like the, all of those those words. Wow. They're coming to me a little bit too easily. <laughs> yeah. You're really a human thesaurus for dehumanization. Wow. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> that, that got grim in a heartbeat. <laughs> all right. So my anxiety is traveling alone or now traveling with you. <laughs> I did find tips from seasoned travelers, uh, people that travel all the time for business, about how to alleviate hotel gloom. I can go through them real quick. Number one, yeah. minimize the amount of time spent in the room, cutting it down to unpacking, showering, and sleeping. Instead, mm-hmm. go explore. Go walk around. Makes sense. Number two, they say don't order room service that keep the sleep uh for good sleep management, you want to keep it, and for hygiene, you want to keep eating out of your room because then that will just accentuate that feeling of loneliness. And this is my box and my box only. That instead, no, but see, you're you're totally messing it up. First of all, you tell me I have to get out of the room. I go to the room to watch free HBO, and now you're telling me not to order room service. If I don't <laughs> order room service, how can I look like a Hollywood after party with the Wilson brothers? Like I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know how else what to do it. What does that mean? Oh, you mean like like the, the room is like a little I bit trashed and you're... I want plates everywhere, like in really obscure places. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't have room for this plate because of the partying I was doing, so I put it on top of the lamp. Like, that's the kind of... Inv- I don't want to break anything, but I do want right. to show the staff that I know how to have a good time. So that's that- all. That's It's th- very staged and manufactured. <laughs> you know, that sounds so sad. Boy, oh boy, you just missed everybody. Like you're ordering like three cheeseburgers and you're hiding two of them. So sad. I feel like I might be really nailing your point. Oops. This year in anxiety, Pete, when we look back in history about how things are anxiety filled and the worst or something, we're still figuring this segment out. But speaking of hotels, have you heard of a hotel called Stay on Main in Los Angeles? No, it sounds fantastic. It's not. It used to be called the Cecil Hotel. And why would they want to change such a delightful name? Because after opening in 1927, the hotel has been scarily connected to an unusually large amount of wrongful deaths and suicides during its 90-year history. This place is haunted. It has connections to the Black Dahlia murder. It has connections to the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. And then... In 1962, there's the anxiety-drenched story of 65-year-old George Giannini. In 1962, 27-year-old Pauline Otten was arguing with her estranged husband, Giannini, in a room on the ninth floor of the Cecil Hotel. After Otten's husband left, she wrote a suicide note and jumped from the window to the pavement below. Unluckily, Giannini was walking directly below the window, and Otten landed on him. They were both killed instantly. Oh, no. So there's another thing to be nervous about in hotels. People breaking in, being all alone, (laughs) or guests emerging from above. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) Well, thank God we have moved on from such horrors in the, the world of hotel travel. Although, in case you're looking for a way to reminisce, This week's sponsor, Audible.com. I've got a solution for you. I've got a book pick, and I think it's going to help you out. It's a classic. 
at Bertram's Hotel. This is the story of our dear friend, Jane Marple. That's right, Miss Marple. She comes up from the country for a holiday in London and finds what she's looking for at Bertram's, a restored London hotel with traditional decor, impeccable service, and an unmistakable atmosphere of danger behind the highly polished veneer. It's a Miss Marple mystery by Agatha Christie. Runs you six hours and 44 minutes, but I'll tell you, it's just one of over 180,000 titles that you can get from Audible. They are a fantastic purveyor of audio entertainment. I've been a subscriber for, nay, decades. Nay! And uh, I have uh, just hundreds of books at my disposal. Listen to them over and over because <laughs> I stay alone in hotels a lot. Yeah. And <laughs> Uh, so you can find out more at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. When you go there and you sign up for a new account, you get a free uh, 30 days to check out the place to see what books you like. You can search for uh, this Agatha Christie uh, hit at Bertram's Hotel, uh, or you can pick any book you like. And you know what? You get that book for free free download of this book. You keep it forever even if you decide to cancel your Audible account. AudibleTrial.com slash scent of a podcast. When you support Audible, you support this show, and we thank you for doing it. So check into Audible, and now check out the rest of the show. (laughs) See what I did? You're a pro. Tom, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, a a few minutes ago, we talked about (laughs) hygiene in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. And and you said, can we just get this out of the way? And I don't know if you remember what I said. You said for now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, it's another gross one. This is this is uh, that was, as it turns out, uh, interest paid on a debt, which now comes due. (laughs) Oh, great. Yep. Goodbye, and food and, forever. And I, I have to, I have to say, it's not my fault. It's what? not my fault. This is a listener submission. Ah, listeners, the best of the worst. <laughs> all right. I wish us all a lot of luck. What you got? <sighs> hey guys. Good start. You see how cheery it starts yeah, off. I like that. All right. My anxiety is a bathroom anxiety. I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you for the warning. That's a trigger warning. Here we go. I'm pretty good with body stuff. That's Mm. in quotes. Mm -hmm. At home, in the shower, around my own toilet, and so on. But for some reason, when I'm out in public, I'm thrown into complete turmoil if I walk into a stall check the toilet seat, and see a rogue pubic hair. Ooh. Ah, rogue. The worst <laughs> kind rogue. of pubes. It's like tying itself into a noose. Yeah. <laughs> it's so confusing to me that I panic. It's mm. a reminder that someone else was in here doing the same thing I was about to do. And I say about to do because I can't do it anymore. I clench up and hold it completely. But then all I can think about is Tycho Brahe and how he died from not peeing when his bladder supposedly exploded. What? I don't think about this at all when I don't have to go to the bathroom in public. But when I do, it's a complete surprise that it freaks me out and it is debilitating. (laughs) I hold it as long as I can and then I have to search for another bathroom or I sneak into the men's room or just go home in pain and shame. Oh, pain, shame, the worst. (laughs) 
<laughs> seems like something so small. A single pubic hair has so much power over me. I recognize how weird this is, and I hope it gives you guys a laugh. But along the way, if you could figure out how I might be able to laugh along with you, that would be great. Keep it up. A by that's a dash by b y e. I don't I don't a, know what that. It's a not by. a name I've ever heard, but no, I but I like it. A by that you now know. We're talking about you and pubic hair in the same <laughs> sentence. First, though, let me set the record straight about Tycho Brahe. Yeah, what's this now? Do you know? Do you know who Tycho Brahe is? Clearly not. He's a Danish astronomer who developed a model of the universe and worked alongside uh, Johannes Kepler. I believe Kepler worked under him for for a time. Uh, He's another astronomer. Uh, Kepler went on to develop the three laws of planetary motion. I'm not an astronomer, but I've heard of this guy. So that's saying a little bit of something. Sure. The the question at hand, a by suggests that uh, Tycho Brahe's bladder exploded. The rumor on the Internet is that he was at a dinner with the king and refused to excuse himself to use the facilities before the king was finished with his meal, and he waited too long and suffered catastrophic uh, organ bladder failure. That can happen? He did, in fact, attend a banquet in Prague. And Kepler himself actually reports uh, that Brahe stayed at the table for fear of breaching etiquette. Right. But his dad, bladder didn't explode. He contracted a, a bladder or, or kidney infection after oh. the banquet and died 11 days later. And he, he wasn't able to urinate. And physicians later said that he was suffering from a, a kidney stone, Ugh. though one was never actually found in, in an autopsy. Okay, so that's to keep you... Wait a minute. What? Tom. There's more. Oh, In the 1990s, two sets of specialists went through the Brahe data and discovered that he had been intentionally poisoned with mercury. What? And who were the main suspects? I'm not kidding you. This is what I've been doing with my time. The suspects were his cousin Eric, who was ordered to kill Brahe by Christian IV due to rumors that Brahe had an affair with Christian's mother. Ah, so many names! Yeah, Kepler himself, his own astronomical understudy who wanted access to Brahe's laboratory. Good grief. This was a rat hole. Wow. Uh, Anyway, he did die of some sort of urea, uric acid poisoning, and his bladder did fail. It did not explode, but likely was related to some sort of complications with the dinner that, that sort of exacerbated. And he was probably poisoned by mercury okay. which triggered the event so what are we talking cow, about again? <laughs> i have to tell you a by yeah. you're okay as long as you stay away from mercury and the king that's right yeah no the king's bad news let's talk about pubes then let's talk about yep, okay <laughs> do you uh do you have any connection uh with any sort of pubic fa- uh, fear well one thing that i just realized when you were talking is this really does connect with the idea of different people using the same hotel room and different yep. people using that in a way bathroom stalls are hotels for butts <laughs> so that's good to know <laughs> Are we looking for a new t-shirt? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. <laughs> As I... Uh, what? <laughs> bathroom stalls are hotels for butts. It's totally... It totally tracks. Anyways, I weirdly don't... As I said that I don't suffer from misophobia, I'm really not a germaphobe in almost an alarming way. And so, no, when I see that, I'm sort of like, Gross, but I'll just use a piece of toilet paper and get it out of the way, and that's it. 
my problems, if we remember in the restrooms, have to do with sounds I'm making and hate, not wanting yeah. people to know that I'm alive. We all remember that. <laughs> Let's show a clip. No, we don't have a clip. Um, so, no, I don't get it's not like I would stop from using it for that reason, which I know is weird. I'm sort of on an island as far as that's concerned. Well, I don't know about that. I, I think it's uh, it, it is one of those things that that um, I, I think it can it serves as a trigger for generally sure. to something else. Right. And and that's what we what we're trying to get to here. There there is a, a fear of hair. Uh, sure. And, and in particular, uh, I mean, the fear of hair is chaetophobia, C-H-A-E-T-O phobia. Oh, okay. it, it's, it is a rare phobia. It causes an irrational or, or abnormal persistent fear of hair. Mm. That's not completely what, what I think we're seeing here, although sure. it, it may be, um, you know, related. It, it is in, instead it's a trigger to to what the um, that there is some sort of fear of the activity of of relieving oneself in a public place that it's a there's a fear of the of uh, the fact that you are being somehow judged <laughs> that it's a performance anxiety thing huh. uh, that somebody else was here and that means you're going to walk out and someone else might come in and see oh. the remains of one of your activities maybe <laughs> find God forbid one of your pubic hairs right. oh, I said it. Next to your uh, driver's license, which you also <laughs> dropped. <laughs> what a disaster. Total disaster. Uh, and so I, I, the there are a number of words that, that also relate to this. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hypertrichophobia, persistent and constant fear of hair, uh, is the most closely related to chaetophobia. Um, and uh, so, but it Why leads to the hair? same. And, and it can even uh, persist, Tom, with animal hair like if you really have oh. this fear you might actually fear not just your hair oh. not just pubic hair but but pet hair too and uh, and and so it can be really debilitating and yeah and so all due respect to those who are, are living with it it's it's terrifying um the fear that it is too filthy or that you are somehow going to be harmed by it choke on it um, choke on it. yeah see i'm trying to get to yeah. what why hair yes what about hair is so insidious the choking well, is interesting. Choking is interesting. Get tied up in it. Some people have oh. a, a report of a, a, a just rampant fear of a persistent nightmares, uh, hair nightmares where they are, are just wrapped up in it. Huh. Um, Chetophobes, they say, avoid people with giant thick hair, uh, perms, African-American hair, like big Afro hairstyles can be terrifying for somebody with chetophobia. Huh. Uh, in, in some cases, they become uh, depilophiles, right? They end up like cutting their hair very short or shaving their head and shaving their bodies uh, to remove all the hair for fear of their contribution to it. Uh, it. It can lead to just sort of a debilitating uh, experience. In this case, though, we have to get back to a by and right. her her challenge uh, with going to the bathroom in public, right. and uh, that's a it's a scary thing. Would you feel like you have to get through it? Now, what uh, all of the research has said, and I, I all of the research, all of my research <laughs> seems to indicate the same thing. First of all, you are absolutely 
absolutely not alone. Sure. I found so many mess. I mean, you get tied into message <laughs> I'm afraid boards. You're say, I found so oh, much pubic many hair. Pubic hair. So, <laughs> I've been doing research at public toilets around Portland and Portlanders <laughs> shed down south. Oh, I am not kidding. Geez. Oh, it's a delight. Uh, so the sweater I'm wearing today. No. Gross. Anyhow. All right. What I want to tell you is you are, you're not alone. The message boards are full of people who are dealing with this. I found some uh, a, a sort of subculture of college journalists who write their editorials about uh, their experience living in dorms, sharing bathrooms, and finding all of the pubic hair. I found a whole thread of, looks like it's a black community of men hmm. who are talking about all of the white people in their offices whose pubic hair is falling out. And oh. I could read that for hours. <laughs> Get that on audible dot. No, nope. it is the it is fantastic and astute. Uh, and so uh, apparently um, we're we're shedders. Uh, but I could find the I could find the other way, too. And oh, my goodness, the, there's a janitorial community of janitors who are talk about, you know, their schools and how they can, you know, they see when the kids start growing up and start shedding Oof. as they clean the toilets. It's Oof. it is there is a real subculture around pubic hair in bathrooms that uh, is not, I, I can't unsee a lot of it. Oh, I bet. Bottom line is the, the, the treatment line. is uh, apparently, you did that. <laughs> wow. I, I will say an interesting uh, stat. Who would you say if you were to paint a demographic profile of individuals who suffer from this uh, particular phobia, who would you say lives with it? Oh, who suffer from the phobia? Yeah. Um, women. 66%. Yes. Okay. How old are they? Younger 20s and 30s. That is exactly right. Ooh. They're under 34. Okay. In fact, 90% of those who claim this phobia are women under age of 34, which I find fascinating. I don't know why, but here we are. We've painted. Sorry, I feel like we might have just outed enemy of the stated a by. <laughs> I don't uh, know so why sorry. I guess those demographics. I just that was very instinctual. Well, I think. There's something stereotypical about like guys' restrooms at times are just a horror show. Yeah. And I we're used to it. We're it, sort of used to it. I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, there's like like there's buckets just for pubic hair. Did do women know that? <laughs> that there are pube buckets in all men's <laughs> No, just I always assume that there would that uh female restrooms are in better shape and therefore it would be more it would stand out more if there mm -hmm. was uh detritus left behind. Gross. Detritus. Yeah. Oh, dear. Uh, the therapeutic community indicates that this is an imminently treatable uh, phobia, that it is one of those things you start with the practical, which is to demonstrate that you have power over the phobia. That is to carry uh, some sort of uh, sanitary uh, yep. tool, wipes, uh, to, to give yourself an opportunity. If you can get to the point where you can actually reach out and clean it. Sure. Uh, you can you can do that and take agency in your role with the phobia. You can actually control it. It is not that you can do those sort of things on your own to feel like you have power over it. Uh, but talk therapy, uh, CBT, and even NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, uh, oh. is written about often to reprogram the brain 
an effective remedy for treating chetophobia. And uh, uh, that is, is, these are all tools that indicate uh, hope for this one. Uh, it's, I, it, you know, as somebody who doesn't live with it, I don't, like, I go in and Again, I've already described, I go into a bathroom and I see a pube, I put it in a bucket for my pube sweater. Uh, God. <laughs> uh, but that's not a thing. It's not a, a thing that I live with. And so, um, you know, I, I don't want it to come out like it's to come off like I'm being. No, flippant, we're even not trying that's to sort be... of what we do. Yeah. Uh, what I am saying is it sounds like. It is, this is one that programmatically you can disassociate yourself from and uh, be able to to move forward, hopefully, yeah. so that you don't have to be to worry about the Tycho Brahe bladder explosion issue. Ugh. And if, if all else fails, I mean, you could just look at uh, uh, the contribution from Eudaimonia Purpose, who says, mm. I don't ever let mine get that long anyway to where the shite just falls out. Just keeping it short helps you stink less, too. You lack personal hygiene, white bros. <laughs> Another t-shirt. <laughs> first time that I met you I thought it looked so sweet I showed that around For the heels Beating a retreat Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Cold by Anthony Lazaro. Coming up next week. Did any of them see Runaway? Right. That Tom Selleck hit? <laughs> Jeez, that's a good reference. It's a test of your own condition. If you can say it without swallowing your tongue, you don't have it. <laughs> that should be a litmus test for everything. <laughs> Like Tom from MySpace, he would just come over and like sit in your corner, uninvited. He would just always be there. MySpace, timely. Outstanding. Deep cut, Tom. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Until then, I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mess Third. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back next week on What's That Smell? Oh, yeah. But I know for sure the day will come when you first realize what you have done and you finally get your debt repaid and revenge. Just serve the owner, cold play it all, yeah.